This week on the podcast, it's all about video games. Overwatch, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, Destiny, Mass Effect Andromeda, Shadow of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. The last two correlate directly to our topic, which is open world games, what we like about them, what we don't, what drives us to the genre. Enjoy. <laughs> Hello, geeks out there. Welcome to the next uh, Geek Domination bah, bah, podcast bah. episode bah, bah, bah. 91. Bah, 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 bah. It's all about games here today. Today is March 4th. I'm Anthony Tyson, and along with me for the ride, Cody Spitz. A burger. Guys, I get to talk about two games <laughs> that I'm really enjoying today, and I'm really excited. I know, I know. I was uh so I, I f- the cool thing is I came over last night. Cody got the switch. Spoiler it's right alert! Here. It's right here. Yeah, if you're watching this oh, live, no. it's uh it's adorning our decorations today, and it is weird, but kind of fun, one, especially two, switch, when you got okay, drinks. Yeah, so let's just get out of real quick. One two switch. <laughs> one two. Dumbest switch. funnest game I've ever played. <laughs> yes, agreed. It's like they took like we we play. And removed every part of it that made sense. <laughs> and then just put in the little awkward videos. That yeah. The tutorials are hilarious. Yeah. I highly recommend drinking along with this game. Oh, unless you you're not old to. enough and then don't do don't that. Do that. I don't but condone it. I don't know. If drink. We, would, we would not have had as much fun as we did if there was not alcohol. Oh, absolutely. Involved. Absolutely. We ate. We ate uh, pretend sandwiches in 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 in, a, in an eating contest, and then we were wizards. Yeah, we were wizards, and, and then we were rocking a baby. You know, it like it, it's got everything, it's, everything it's pretty, you'd ever it's want. Pretty wild. But, <laughs> um, we'll we'll save all that for uh, another time. But indeed, let's jump into our news this week, which we're gonna start off with some Blizzard stuff. Right, we've been doing all kinds of shenanigans. So first off. Um, after like a, only like a week of teasing this time, as opposed to like the six months that was Sombra, um, <laughs> we know our next hero in Overwatch. Yes, uh, we have a new tank. We do. Yeah, her name is Orissa. She is a, a new Mumbani little robot. Yeah, and uh, she looks pretty cool. Uh, she's got some interesting abilities. Uh, they. They kind of went with kind of like you were talking about before we started the cast. Most of the tanks either like damage, you know, for attack, or you're a defense tank. Orissa's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's a nice balance of the two. Which it's hard to say because when you have those tanks that you know push the the balance mm-hmm. so far in the different direction, and then right. you have like none of those, it's hard to see. Because I mean, I feel like Zarya has a decent amount of both, but I feel like this is like the closest we've gotten to like a true hybrid. Of defense offense between all the tanks. Absolutely. I, I would agree. So her main abilities um, are Fortify, which allows her to reduce incoming damage. So think much like uh, the Zarya. Uh, she also has a protective barrier that shields allies like Zarya. Um, her halt attack is sort of a mini Graviton surge. So think, again, Zarya's wow. super, but just as a regular ability. Um and probably I'm assuming less effective. Oh, I'm guessing. Know? I'm sure it's just kind of yeah. just like a slight like push and then yeah. Otherwise, that would make Zarya like 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she's got an interesting ultimate move that for me is a reverse Lucio. So Lucio's special ability is he fortifies the defense, like armor of mm-hmm. all of his allies near him. Um, and it's an extreme amount. Think that, but now with attack damage for Orisa. So it could be really interesting. Which is kind of cool because I don't remember the, the name of the character who actually designed Orisa, mm-hmm. but it's like this like little girl who's like, she's like, a, no, like seriously, yeah, she's yeah. like 11 or something and she's like this like, crazy like prodigy like making machines and shit yeah but i know like in some of the lore like she's had interactions with lucio before oh has which she? is kind of cool see that's see that that level i didn't even know that's really cool because i we watched her little opening video where she's describing creating arissa because uh, she's talking to her and you know putting in a heart and everything and it's very sweet uh so it, it looks like I really like that girl. I hope that she does other things. This would be kind of cool. I mean, the best part I feel like about Overwatch is, you know, you have you look at like something like League of Legends or like Dota even where like they're they're building up characters from scratch and it's just kind of like here they yeah. are and they have they do have a lore and there is a lot of lore in those games. But I feel like Overwatch just kind of does it better just because there's so much intertwining between all the characters for for the longest time that we haven't even known about. Absolutely. So when they're pulling in new ideas, they're just kind of like picking and choosing from other characters being what they want. Oh, this person interacted with this person then, or this person loves this person, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's a whole little like spider web of connectivity. It's pretty cool, yeah. but she's on the PTR now. Um, expect her live one to two weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's the normal time frame, right? Yeah, usually. Cool. So next up for Blizzard, um, Hearthstone got its first official announcement because this was oh, actually shit. leaked um the expansion was did i ever tell you about this the uh you you briefly the described expansion it, yeah. got leaked a couple weeks ago by one of the voice actors uploading a new resume and it being in there so whoops on that front but the next expansion is called journey to ungoro um it's a 135 card set we know this is also going to be the start of the new standard year, so it's going to cycle out some of the old sets, and we'll be looking into the year of the mammoth, is what they're calling this next standard year. 135 cards. We also know from a couple weeks ago that they are foregoing Hearthstone Adventures this year, and it's just what, going what to be... What was Hearthstone Adventures? It was like Naxxramas and oh. Blackrock Mountain, like the little single-player adventures. Right. They're not going to do any of those this year. Okay. What they said is they're going to do three major expansions, uh-huh. and then there's going to be like single player missions tight like throughout those so we don't know exactly how much that's going to be but full fudge expansion 135 cards the big things that they did already talk about was elemental is now a class type so we do have like the frost elemental and the magma elementals from you know sets prior mm-hmm. those will be rebranded as elementals and there will be a whole new set of elementals that interact with those that's good because whenever they do that there's usually the cards that are like when there's an elemental on the field or when there's an elemental in your hand and stuff like that, there's a lot of cool interactions that happens. That's with pretty that. tight. Um, we also know that they're introducing the adept mechanic, which is going uh. to be on the new dinosaurs. Ungoro is a, like a crater in WoW that has a lot of prehistoric fauna and creatures and stuff, and there's dinosaurs. So they have the adept mechanic, which is similar to the discover mechanic, which discover is you play a card, it's like discover a beast, and it shows mm-hmm. you a couple different cards. That, you know, Here's three cards and choose from one of them. The adept is similar, but it's like, here's three options for what your card can do and do it. For example, it's like adept taunt. 
adept charge, adept plus three attack, adept death rattle, gotcha. summon some stuff. So there's a lot of really cool choice that could happen with those. I think there's ten total. Nice. But that's pretty tight. By far, the coolest new addition is quests, which what those are is it is a one mana spell that starts in your opening hand if you have it in your deck, and it sets your game on a quest. The one they showed off was the priest quest, and it's like summon seven death rattle minions. And when you complete that quest, you get a new card added to your hand. I don't remember the ah. name of this card, but they're incredibly powerful cards. The priest one they showed off was like, set your hero's HP to 40, and any of those can be like used from full health. So you could be like two health and be like, I have 40 health now. Jesus. Which is 10 past what they did. So I'm super excited to see where they go with this. Huh. Um, they already added quests like this in Heroes of the Storm before. But basically, those was like land an ability on a hero x amount of times. When you do that, it you know amplifies your ability so far. So I'm super excited for the set. Um, we know it launches mid April, and they're going to start revealing more cards March 17th. Nice. See, that's that's a good time frame for it too. Mm. I think uh, it was really funny because they did this really cool um, announcement video for it. Ben Broad, who's one of the designers, he is absolutely hilarious and has like a really cool personality. And like a lot of like the Hearthstone community actually really enjoys Ben. But um, you know how in like trailers past for Hearthstone expansions, there's just been like a little silly song. Yeah. Like yeah. There yeah, yeah. wasn't one. So everyone was upset. So Ben released a video of him creating a rap for Journey to Ungoro. And, and as the it? internet says, it is straight fire. And it's fantastic. <laughs> nice. But that's that. I'm super stoked. And that's that. And those card games. You know, children's card games. Card games are great. Send you to the Shadow Realm. See, I, I still like playing card games with people, though. I do. Yeah. I mean, but the coolest thing about Hearthstone is it adds that level of RNG that you right. couldn't possibly have in a, a physical card game. Right. And honestly, with... Uh, <laughs> Star Wars Destiny being on my mind lately, that shit gets expensive. Yeah, it does. So, I feel you. Um, Excuse me. So, uh, I guess the other thing was uh, a little guy. Oh, a little so guy. Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. They've been doing, pushing out heroes so quick lately. Like, almost one every three to four weeks. Oh, Jesus. And they'll, like, announce him, put him on the PTR. Kind of like a he, double down on that game? Kind of. And they, they'll announce him, put him on the PTR, and then put him in the game. They put out... One, two, three, I think six heroes since BlizzCon, which is nuts for a MOBA. When you look at, like, League now, which puts one in, like, every four months. Yeah. But we knew that they were going to be announcing a hero um, yesterday, on Friday, at the current Heroes of the Storm uh, esports event. Right. And we got a little teasing of just, like, a Protoss warp area, and everyone was like, oh, it's going to be Phoenix. It's going to be the guy we wanted in the game for forever. Nah, uh, they they kind of trolling us in the best way possible. Uh, introducing Blizzard. Probius, <laughs> who is literally the Protoss probe, which is the working class of the StarCraft race, or, or the, the Protoss race in StarCraft. Yeah. They literally made a worker unit into a hero. And I love it. And all you do, I don't like. I was looking at his abilities, and I'm like, what is what does he even do? Uh, he he creates pylons and shoots stuff. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I'm, the trailer is absolutely adorable because I don't know if you watch it, but it's I like haven't. it's it's like super like cutesy animated, and it's like 
just, you know, Probius, and he's making probes, and, like, some heroes run past him, and they're, like, going off to battle, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna be sad, and I'm just gonna keep building stuff, and then they all die. <laughs> From his building? No, well, then all, no, it's all of his teammates, and they oh, all and die. All so, right. you no, know, you go find him, and you're just like, oh, no, Probius, and then there's, like, five, like, enemy heroes, and he, like, runs away and chases them back to the base, and then, like, the base, like, fucks him up, so. Nice! It's pretty cool. I'm super excited. So, he gets put onto the PTR this coming Tuesday. And expect him in the game the prior week. Fun, I so. like that. That's uh, that is a really hilarious, potentially awesome hero to have. They like this. whenever because the, the nice thing about um, Hots is you're you're pulling from existing lore. You know, they they pretty much you know they took the, one of their recent additions was they put Lucio into the game, and literally it's a copy paste of his kit from Overwatch. And they just put it in. So I like when they like this is obviously still existing lore, but they had to build more of a character and an ability set Absolutely. around it. And I think they did a good job. So it's exciting. I'm excited. Constructing additional pylons. Tight. All right. Uh, what's next? Destiny is doing Ugh. some shit. So they announced yesterday that pretty much we are in the works to reveal the final live event for Destiny 1. It's going to be called Age of Triumph. Mm. Um, over the next three weeks, we will get some reveals about it. Um, next week, we get the actual reveal. Mm. Following week is the weekly rituals update and then the sandbox update. Um, a lot of people have been speculating that they're going to be putting in old raids. The first picture is literally the vault of glass door with a minotaur in front of it. So it's hint, almost hint. all but confirms. Another thing is in this picture of the weekly rituals update, which is, you know, like your your daily crucible, your right. nightfalls, your stuff like that. There is one that's the raid symbol. So what I'm expecting is there's going to be kind of like a nightfall weekly challenge a la the old raids. You know, this week we got to go back into Vault of Glass and do something maybe with the modifier. This week we got to go Crow to Zen. This week we got to go King's Fall. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly what all the event entails just yet, but we do know it's coming. I would expect it sometime early April, which lines up. Exactly with the April update that they did last year. Right. With Prison of Elders. But the other thing in this update is Des or, uh, Bungie actually kind of made, like, their first real notice that, like, yeah, we, we actually are working on Destiny 2. Because they've been pretty hush-hush about it and, like, not really saying anything about it. But there's been a lot of rumors lately and a lot of people have been upset, like, how progression is going to work from Destiny 1 to 2. How much of our stuff from 1 is going to carry over to 2. So they actually talked about this in the weekly update. So... Um, basically saying we're building in a new engine, we're going to make a new world and everything, new powers to acquire. This led us to a decision that would enable us to serve both the game and the player's best interests. Destiny 1 power, possessions, Eververse-related items, and currency will not carry forward. They will, however, remain accessible to you in Destiny 1. However, we know that just like us, you have grown fond of your, the, the Guardians you've created, and so we do plan on preserving your character personalization. We're going to recognize the dedication and passion you've shown for this world, specifically the class, or class race, gender, face, hair, and marking selections for all characters that have achieved level 20 and completed the Black Garden story mission to carry forward. We also plan on awarding those veteran accounts with honors that reflect your Destiny 1 accomplishments. Um, I think that this is... The airs is two-sided. So... For the people out there, uh, kind of like my cousin, for example, Mason, uh -huh. I, that are not used to the way a lot of big RPGs are, you know, massive multiplayer online MMOs. games, mm -hmm. um, I think that there's going to be a certain amount of backlash with it. However, 
do understand that for people that are accustomed to this, you know, people that have played World of Warcraft, things like this that. This is smart. This is very normal and very smart, yeah. And it does also bring into mind, too, it's like, well, if they couldn't, if they felt like they couldn't carry over these characters in the proper way, the powers and everything, too, what kind of crazy shit are we going to get into? Yeah. That could be really exciting. So that could be a good thing. My biggest problem with Destiny is that it didn't do enough for me to get fully invested in the lore and the world. Mm-hmm. And it felt kind of like I was just interacting with things, not actually being in it. You know, that, I agree. Was, that was my issue. And I think that this could be a great sign for good things going forward. Yeah. And we- what's the, what are these honors? That's my other thing. Like, what are they saying? Like, It'll probably be, like, stuff. Maybe it's just, like, emblems or maybe it's going to be shaders that you just get in Destiny 2. Probably. For, you know, you completed all the raids. Here's a shader. You completed all this. Here's an emblem. Stuff like that. It'll probably be like that. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, I just – I know I know there's going to be backlash to it. I just – There will. I, I mean – I'm okay. I, I talk about this very easily. You know, you look back in year one um, – when they added Prison of the Elders to the game initially and they allowed you to bring forward like all the vaulted glass weapons and everything for that the rest of that year. The biggest problem with that is those weapons were so much stronger than anything else in the game because they had built right. it to where nothing else was going to be. Those were your only options. Since Taken King and they added a lot more variety to the weapons, took away elemental primaries and stuff like that, there's so much more variety. You you don't feel like you have to use this certain gun because it's quote-unquote the best. You use whatever gun you feel is the best and it's the best for your playstyle. I love that now. Um, I, if, I, if they had done it earlier, I probably would have been way more invested into playing Destiny just in general. Yeah, so it's just that but taken on a whole other level. They want to basically wipe your slate clean, you know, Remove any sort of gun that might be OP or undertuned or is too strong, not strong enough, too fun, etc., etc. Clean slate. Let's start Destiny 2. Everyone on the same level, which is smart because I feel like you were always going to have that problem where there was going to be one gun in Destiny 1 that was better than anything else. Yallerhorn. Yeah, it's not well, even really but, to the but the idea of it. Yeah, the idea of the Yallerhorn from you know year one and it's going to keep going forward. So yeah. I'm very on board with this. Um, I'm interested to see exactly what the Age of Triumph event is going to be because I haven't played Destiny since pretty much the beginning of the year. Yeah. kind of fell off for oh, me man. too, just with moving and everything else. But and we've had so much other games going on lately. Too. What we will talk yeah. about later in the topic is I like literally for the last two days I've been trying to balance two huge games along with work, along with being sick, and I'm like I I couldn't even do it. I failed immensely. <laughs> it's okay. I totally understand how that goes. But that's that. Um, while everyone, you know, while I've been excited about Horizon and playing this, literally everyone else in Geek Domination has just been in full Mass Effect Andromeda mode at this point and just going absolutely crazy. And we got a little announcement this week that made the internet just kind of face palm. So, for those unaware, I want to say about two months ago was uh, two or three. We had an announcement that they were going to actually make a beta for the multiplayer for Mass Effect Andromeda, and it was a uh, it was very exciting. They had an application process. It seemed like they wanted the best of the best because they like were literally looking into the scores that you did on Mass Effect Three multiplayer. And I'm in the top five percentile, all right, still in that game. And they said they would give emails for when the beta comes out. Well, it's March. Game comes out in... Game comes out in two, two and a weeks? half weeks yeah. now. 
Um, and about four days ago, we got the final announcement that there is actually no Mass Effect beta. I know you guys talked about uh, betas uh, in an episode just recently, and I just want to add this again to the annoyance of betas lately. You know, I if you're going to make an announcement about a beta, you got to live up to it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just kind of annoying and pointless. So add this to the pointless betas because it didn't exist and it doesn't matter. So yeah, it's it's a facepalm. It's kind of like what did you expect when it's already March now? Pretty much. But at the same time, it's annoying because it would have been cool. They still could have done it. I mean, they literally could have done it like the weekend before the game went live. True. But. I, and and it would have been interesting. Maybe they could have, you know, made the the point that it was for stability. You know, checking stability servers right. and all of that normal beta bullshit. Um, but if nothing else, they would have at least been living up to their ward, and uh, they didn't, unfortunately. Oh, well. I just I hope the game's good. That's all I can say. Uh, I'm pretty sure the game's going to be good. Probably going to be good. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, like, Mass Effect was one of those games I just never got into. But Which is sad. It is really sad. I got my 360 so late and, like, just kind of playing catch-up for so long, and I tried to get into Mass Effect 1 multiple times, and I just couldn't do it. If, if we can make Geek Domination light on fire like we want it to and we have the time to start doing more streams and things i think what would be really cool is if you and i did a stream of kingdom hearts your game that you want me to really get into yes. and then we did a stream of mass effect 2 and 3 the games you i really want you to get into i'm so down that'd be fun we could, we could have that arranged but mass effect hype yeah it's seriously real two and a half weeks guys i cannot wait the last trailer was stupidly good so i'm very very excited just sucks that there's no beta Eh. Last piece of news was something that kind of happened around the last podcast, but we didn't really talk about it because there was this kind of a bunch of like leaks and stuff. Right. It was a leak literally as we were in the middle of podcast. I think Zane literally. I believe so. It was, yeah. If it wasn't like in the middle of recording, it was like right before we started. So mm-hmm. there was a leak from Target about a sequel to one of the best games of the last couple of years, which was Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. When we had the PS4 launch, there wasn't a lot of great games coming out around that year. And Mordor was a surprise to everyone. Yeah, surprise hit. And it was it was not... I, I Going back on it now, looking back on it, at the time it released, it was the best in that time. Out of the things that have come since, maybe not. But... It was an extraordinary premise, and it had this really cool concept of the Nemesis system, which was amazing. So, we got the leak that we were getting a sequel called Shadow of War. Mm -hmm. Only two days later, we got an official announcement. Dude, the trailer. The trailer was sweet. Yes. Um, I need to finish this game. Because yeah, I have it on PC, I started playing it, and I don't remember what happened, but I never finished it. So I'm definitely going to go back and play it, finish it. But um, Shadow of War comes out August 22nd. That's really fucking soon. Very big surprise on that. So, I didn't anticipate it as soon as it was, but no, I'm glad. I didn't there. even know there was a sequel in the works. I, I would have... Just my brain, I'm like, okay, that was a really popular game. It sold extraordinarily oh, yeah. well. They're going to do a sequel. I just didn't realize it was going to be so soon. It's only been three-ish years since it if came out. If that, and it's releasing like in a few months. Soon. Yeah, so, that's a couple nuts. things from this article, too. Um, story content has been proven that players will wield a new ring of power and confront the deadliest of enemies, including Sauron and his Nazgul, in a monumental battle for Middle-earth. Right. It, it kind of... 
the trailer alluded to what I believe now is kind of like an alternate history of what would happen if he was alive and around. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, the game will also feature an expanded version of the Nemesis system. In Shadow of Mordor, the player, the game drastically or dynamically created orcish officers that reacted to their encounters with your character. In Shadow of War, Warner Bros. promises that the world's environment itself will be shaped by your play, as well as a new kind of reactive NPC followers. Followers bring about entirely new stories of loyalty, betrayal, and revenge. The Nemesis system is also expanded to create a unique personal world through Nemesis fortresses, which allow players to utilize different strategies to conquer dynamic strongholds and create personalized worlds with their unique orc army. So, Dude, that sends shivers up my spine, so, that idea. Correct me if I'm wrong. So, like, basically what the Nemesis system kind of does is the enemy kind of reacts to how you play and kind of counters you. It was, yeah, it was kinda? it was interesting. So, it was both. You could use it to manipulate those enemies into being weaker okay. um, by making them afraid of certain things. Or... If you die, you can give them certain perks for where you died, how you died, what you were trying to do, and thus they also grew stronger by that. It was a reverse system, but at the same time, if you made a stronger officer and got higher in the ranks, the reward for beating that officer and the perks associated with it were higher, greater, more powerful. So in a way, you could manipulate it that by making them stronger and eventually taking them down, you also gained an extraordinary amount of strength for that effort and that time. So what, It was very versatile. So what these Nemesis Fortresses almost sound like to me is something... I'm not 100% on this. It was just something I remember John Luke talking to me about for um, Phantom Pain. Was that Ooh. that game kind of reacted... The enemies reacted to how you played against them. There were there were certain things like you like for example if you were sniping all the time they They'd would eventually have helmets helmets and stuff like yeah that. And things so like this that. is what it sounds like for me so like for example say you play the game and you're just incredibly stealthy the entire time maybe when you come across one of these fortresses there's going to be measures in place by the enemies to where you can't be as stealthy as you'd originally like I think that's exactly how if they're using do that. brute force maybe there's going to be more armor there's going to be more people. That sounds fucking amazing because this is the game dynamically creating itself for how you're playing it. And honestly, that's what makes certain games like this incredibly replayable. I, It's a problem. When people say things that are... Um, oh, what's that word they like to use when everything's just pr- procedurally generated? There that's you go. The word. I was going to say. Uh, when things are procedurally generated, I think it's used as a crutch to allow just random shit to happen, but it doesn't feel tight and right. The coolest thing was both Phantom Pain, uh, MGS5, and uh, Shadow of Mordor, what they did was they took a tight system here and there and then added a procedural element to it, which then allows for infinite replayability, and it allows it to be fresh every time. I just recently played MGS5 again, and it's still just as fun. Like, I'm not playing the story, I'm not doing anything, but I'm just running around fighting enemies as i go along and it's fun because they do react and they build up their defenses according to what and how you've played that's super cool i I love love that that shit so i'm super stoked august 22nd i'm sure we'll see more at e3 because that's not that far away oh absolutely we'll probably see gameplay if they're gonna have it in august absolutely absolutely we i would not be surprised if if we haven't we might already even get it before then i just don't know when for sure right but that's all the news. Speaking of massive 
open world games <laughs> such as Shadow of Mordor. Such as MGS5. Such, yeah, both of those. Um, we want to take some time today and talk about the open world genre. Right. And just look at where they've come, our favorite games from the, the genre. And it stems a lot off of me going so balls deep into this little game called Horizon Zero Dawn. So I'm going to take a little second here. Do um, it. I still want to go back and actually watch the original E3 announcement trailer for Horizon because I don't remember exactly what it was that sparked me about this game so much. For me, I, I remember it being... It didn't really tell you everything no, about the world. The it didn't even tell you it was open world. The initial announcement was in 2015. Right. The coolest thing, though, was you saw her interacting with her environment, like hunting something, and then all of a sudden you see these giant dinosaur-like creatures come out of nowhere, and she just interacts with them and, you know, fights them and everything, too. And it just looked like this was a new, fresh world. We hadn't seen anything like this. No. Post-apocalyptic, but weird mechanized dinosaur things. That's but awesome. But it's still, you know, like, very tribal. You know, it's, yeah. it's still much, you're living off the land, stuff like that. So, you know, from the second I saw this game, I was like, I want it. I want to play it. Let's go. So I kind of, I try not to, like, watch a bunch of trailers for games anymore really just because and this will be very important later i feel like actually my most hyped game of all time was assassin's creed 3 back when you know around the time that game came out i was entrenched in the Assassin's creed universe and played every single game and absolutely loved all of them and i was also i have a i used to i still do have this huge fascination with american history me too and and i think we both had the same reaction then to this game yep. because so it's like whoa it was it was actually really cool timing yeah. cuz it was i was in my first semester of college when it initially got announced nice. and i was actually taking american history so it was really fucking cool it was this really cool time to just be experiencing what the world was giving to me and just being excited but like oh i'm learning about american history again and i'm Soon going to be playing a game for my favorite fans, one of my favorite franchises, where I'm in that time. So I was super excited. Assassin Three, Assassin Creed Three came out. I am a little bit more lenient on that game than most people. I don't think it was a terrible game. It was definitely not the best game they could have given us. Absolutely. But I feel like it laid the groundwork. I've kind of fallen off Assassin's Creed since then, but. I still enjoyed the franchise up to that point. Well, I think the biggest problem with that game was mechanically, I thought it was pretty sound. Uh-huh. I liked the hunting-ish. I liked the homestead-ish. Um, I The fighting, though, was still fun as yeah, hell. The gameplay was still fine. But my biggest, the biggest problem with that one was it wasn't Ezio, and I think that was its biggest shortcoming. But it hasn't Everyone been looked since then. But Absolutely, the and I still think that's the problem. Well, I know I haven't played it. I know yeah. people loved Syndicate. Said it was the best one since two. Right. So it's hard to say. But I do think it was. After, you know, three games with Ezio, it was hard to kind of turn away from him. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of my disappointment with that game definitely just came from being overhyped, which is something we've talked about a lot and something I've experienced a lot over the last couple of games, the couple of years with games like Watch Dogs and with games like The Division. So I remember in our um, our last cast of 2015, or 2016, I used Horizon as kind of like my get out of jail free hype card where I was just like, <laughs> I don't care. I, I I just want to play this game. I don't care how hyped it is. And I am so happy 
to like be able to say that I absolutely love this game. Honestly, I am a little sad that in a way that I picked up Halo Wars 2 and not this one. Really? I, well, I think we both talked about it a month ago where it's like, I'm going to focus on this game. You're yep. going to focus on that one. Um, and I just, I haven't, it's hard because like, I like it, but I don't, I, I don't like it as much as I, I want to. That's a little upsetting. Yeah. But um, going back to Assassin's Creed 3, this game actually feels like the Assassin's Creed 3 we should have gotten. Mm-hmm. It plays very similarly very clean the game is actually difficult if you're good at like basically if you're good at sniping that's basically all this game entirely is but you're sniping with a bow i'm okay with that you if you have that combat down pretty much (laughs) pretty much so if you're good with that kind of gameplay you're gonna love it but that's not the only way you have to play there's elements where you can just stealth around and shoot stuff. There's elements where you can just lay traps everywhere and just watch it go. There's elements where I don't recommend it, where you can just go in guns blazing and slap stuff around with your spear. There's so many different ways to play this game, and I am absolutely in love with it. I'm almost done. I did not finish it yet because this morning I wanted to get some time into Breath of the Wild so we could talk about this for this cast because it is relevant. But I'm absolutely loving this game. Every single person I've talked to that has played it said it's amazing. And I've realized that this is the first time that I've actually felt like we are in the next console generation. Because I look at, like, my PS4 games. And I, like, look at, you know, the Xbox One game that comes out. And, yeah, they've all been good. And they've definitely used the hardware to their fullest. But this is the first time where, like, I look at the screen. I I actually bought a PS4 Pro right before this came out. (laughs) And I'm playing it on a 4K TV. And you look at how graphically stunning this game is and the world that they created with it. And it is just phenomenal. So I highly, highly, highly recommend this game. I know some people who were like saying like this is a must buy for the PS4. That's what I've been hearing as well. So go buy this game if you have any interest in games like this. Um, expect a full review by me in the next coming weeks. It's going to be a video one or written? Uh, I think it's just going to be an ERP, or I'm sorry, in Quest Complete. Okay, gotcha. I almost said, I said the last name of my, the, the show. So yeah, there's that. That'll be coming soon. But I started like looking at this game and started looking at you know the open world elements within it. And it, it's nothing like we haven't seen before. Actually, so when you were talking about laying traps and playing any way that you want, uh-huh. we kind of already talked about it uh just a few minutes ago but i just want to say how much that reminds me of again metal gear solid 5 uh-huh. so speaking of open worlds and playing as you want that game literally was you can interact with these bases in any way that you see fit i think one of the biggest problems that metal gear solid had in terms of accessibility was that it was always about being stealthy and metal gear solid 5 can continue that tradition of stealth action experience however it does allow you to go full action hero if you want to too mm-hmm. um as long as obviously you're good and you're still prepared for the changing environments that will occur uh you can totally get wrecked if you're not paying attention to your environment what the enemies are doing things like that and that sounds like what horizon's doing in spades as well um it's it's like i think the best games that that do this are the ones that actually make you feel open world it's not because they're open world it's because it's open play pretty much but um you've seen games like um metal gear solid 5 and shadow of mordor that have that procedurally generated element with it that kind of changes how you play 
I want to see more games do this. We're getting that with Shadow of War, like we just talked about. Horizon doesn't do it at all, which is a little disappointing. But it's they still do give you those options to pretty much play however you want. Yeah, uh, kind of like uh, in a way. Well, and maybe it's to a less degree, but um, The Witcher. Yeah, yeah, because where it's, it's I never so... picked up that game. I know you loved it, and everyone like that game has been out for what two years now, and people are still talking about it. Uh, I really want to buy it. If I if I get either a Scorpio or a PS4 Pro, I want to get the Ultimate Edition and yeah. then play it again because uh, that game is phenomenal. But the point I'm making is you interact with the environments in that game, and it's not that it's procedurally generated. Obviously, these things are there for a reason. Uh-huh. It's the fact that everything is so... It's the, it's the actual reverse, actually. It's so dense, but everything has been meticulously designed to a T. And when you interact with something, you're going to play it in this certain way, and you obviously have some variety in how you interact with it, but it's so meticulous, and it's so dense, and it's it's just Im- immaculate. So it's the actually it's a, it's a little bit of the inverse. It's an open world, but it's very controlled yep. in a sense. I feel like that's actually what Horizon is a lot of. It, it's open world. You can pretty much go wherever you want and do whatever you want. You have you know your typical watchtowers where you climb up and you see your map and you have your let's take over this area of the map and free it from this thing and you have your random collectibles stone across the map but the game's strength lies in the just that you know here's your mission here's you know 10 other side uh, 10 other side missions of varying rewards and difficulty i think that's the biggest strength of um open world games and that even goes kind of into mmos where you know you have like a main quest that you quote unquote have to go on to complete the story. You don't have as much in like WoW, but in like Final Fantasy 14, there is literally a 400 plus quest main story quest line right now. <laughs> Holy shit. That has taken me, <laughs> it took me approximately 150 hours to go through all of it. So, but then there's side quests everywhere and there's other varying things that you can do everywhere. And the cool thing about these games is, you know, most of the time, they run phenomenally. You look at games, you know, the kind of some of the weaker ones, but I mean, you look at the massive games like your Fallouts and your your mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls, which tend to be a little bit more buggy, but those bugs are never game breaking, I feel like. They're a little bit more hilarious. I've had two small little bugs in Horizon, but that's it. Yeah, it's weird. Um I think I think we're slowly getting to this concept where it's like there's procedurally generated games. There's games that are really dense but meticulously crafted. Uh-huh. And then you see the kind of Bethesda games where you have a story and you have some crazy things that happen with it. But for me, the fun of those games was always messing around with the physics. Yes. And it's kind of like crazy what you can become or do in those games. Because so, literally. Cause they're so wonky you and know, fun. Especially, I feel like um, Elder Scrolls is a little bit more this way than yeah. Fallout. But Absolutely. like Elder Scrolls is just like a it's a toy box yeah. and it's like, here's some toys. Let's go play, you know, just drag and shout people off cliffs and just watch them just fall to their deaths and just la 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 Yeah, absolutely. Just the silly shit that you can do in those games. But what are some of, you know, I've already kind of talked about mine. What are some other like older open world games that stick out to you? Um, well, and then this is where we're going to have to kind of bend the rules on what is open world. Yeah. Because um, I've been thinking about this too. Cause you know, obviously, okay. Here's my question to you then. Would you consider Mass Effect an open world game? 
Yes, um, in the concept that it allows you to play the missions when you want to play the missions. Yes. Save for a few exceptions. Um, so I would call that open world. Um, the reason why is because you get open choice. Yes. Uh, it's and Mass Effect has the choice in spades beyond right. anything else. And it's funny because we never really called these these things open world before. They were just simply RPGs. Like, for example... Uh, Fallout Three was an was an open world game, but it was made before we really started coining the world the term open, open world. world. And I think the reason why we did Far Cry, yeah, Far Cry Three, I think changed the way we looked at how we Fallout kind of initiated it. And then when when Far Cry came up and you know Skyrim and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's when like people like really started paying attention to these games. They started blowing up. And then you know you have games like you know Final Fantasy Fifteen, when every single Final Fantasy before it was much more linear. Right. And then this is like, all right, open world, throw you to the wolves, go. When you look at fucking Breath of the Wild, which is, I've played it for maybe two hours. It is the weirdest Zelda game I've ever played, <laughs> but it is so damn good. Yeah. Because it's, it just feels weird. And it's also incredibly jarring going back and forth between Horizon and Zelda right now because they're so different and kind of this balance between the I two. I hate when that happens. It's so hard. That's why I'm like, I'm going to buckle down and beat Horizon tonight. But... Like you see, like so many more games. This out of even Metal Gear Solid Five, like just kind of out of nowhere, start developing more of this open world genre. And I think that's I think it's part of just how games have changed, and how basically it's us utilizing technology we have available to us now to build these massive worlds, to experience stuff in these massive worlds. Yeah, absolutely, because. Now, when when you think about open worlds of the past, like you know your Far Cry Three or your, I'm trying to think of like any Fallout really open world games like before Fallout Three. Fallout Three, I think that changed the map. I mean, Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls, yeah, before that. Elder Scrolls was, I think, the other one. Um, you know, Witcher was still around that time, so still, and that one was still pretty linear. Um. It's like maybe this... maybe also uh your uh Dragon Age. Okay. Yeah, your Dragon Age. And yeah, that's that's it. But I think the thing is, I agree. I think we changed our preferences based on not only the available capacity that we now have, the space, uh, the hardware that we have now, but also but I think our own minds too. I think games when we were getting very very linear we're removing your ability to get invested in the things going on. You know, there wasn't, it didn't feel fresh. You know, you played them once and then, you know, that's it. That's it. But in a sense though, that was also something special about those games that I think we're going to start feeling the inverse of as we get further along in this year and years to come. We're going to start really missing some of those linear games too, I think, because like I said with The Witcher 3, that immaculate touch to where things are, controlled to the micro degree makes sometimes those games so special uh because it's challenging on a technical side Mm -hmm. um so i i do want to see open world games if we want this genre to continue to develop and grow i hope we do have not only the procedural generated games like your metal gear solid 5 your um Shadow of, Shadow, Shadow of Mordor. But I also want those games, you know, like, uh, for example, your your Witcher 3, your uh, now Horizon Zero Dawn, where it's meticulously crafted, you know? 
And another thing to bring up too is that sometimes these stories also suffer from those degrees as well. It depends on on how they approach it. Like it's true. I think The Witcher Three has a great story. It's not necessarily its single story, even though I think that's still great. But it's the stories you encounter with people outside of the story that make it so incredible. I feel like her, one of Horizon's greatest strength is actually its story. Meticulously crafted? Yes, because I am like six main story missions from the end. And there are like so many questions still. There is so much depth and ridiculousness to this story. And if I understand where you're at, and I think what's happening is going to happen. There's going to be a moment where you go to a new map, and you're gonna—it's going to blow your mind. Okay. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll see. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. I'm happy you haven't. Okay. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um. But yeah, where there's so much mystery, like I love when games just kind of like, kind of hold your hand through like, just fucking troughs of confusing information, and you just start piecing together the pieces slowly yes. throughout the game, throughout the game, and then there's just that light bulb moment where everything makes sense and you're just like what yeah what that's how i felt with the witcher 3 yeah. uh, again making the I, I, i'm thinking that this is the strongest comparison for horizon i think now. it is um because there is a way that you play that game and sure you have you know your classes and abilities and your blah 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 and you have some choice there but there is an obvious meticulous way to go about the encounters and the combat in mm-hmm. that game um and when it clicks and it works together so well, you just love it. And the other thing that that game had and something that connects to Mass Effect is that not only does its combat change and it's open in the terms of that, but it's also in terms of the story that you can encounter with it as well. Mass Effect was, again, that other kind of game where it was not only an open world in the sense of exploring different missions, but exploring different characters and seeing their paths unwind, something that they got from uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which Mm -hmm. one could argue, again, is another open world game now I'm thinking about it. Bioware was kind of like the... The the, the start of it. Start of it, yeah. They were the, the... Harbingers, you know, your your beginners of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's weird because you look at like when games take like the whole, you know, choice system with your dialogue to a next level. When mm-hmm. you have, you know, your Mass Effects, your Dragon Ages, stuff like that. There are some. I've only actually come across like two that really mattered. That aren't just like simple dialogue choices. To where like they actually like affect the character. And what happens to them and stuff like that. I think, yeah. Because there is uh, a little bit of that in Horizon, actually. When the, when a dialogue wheel popped up for the first time in Horizon, I was like, oh, okay. Cool. This is a thing that I was not expecting at all. Yeah. Kind of like what they did in Uncharted 4 where it's like you're you're selecting things to say, but they don't necessarily change the game. Exactly. There okay. are – that's exactly what it is. But there have been small things that have very minor impacts. And then there have been – a couple that have fairly significant but not absolutely game-changing. So that that is interesting. Um, one of the things about Mass Effect is, is that choice, right? And the weird thing about Mass Effect is that for as much as you play that game and things that can change in it, the missions don't, actually. Really? So the game itself doesn't necessarily change. There are some exceptions to that, but for the majority of it, you go along the same missions as everyone else does. Um, by the third game, there are a few that could maybe be cut off to you or they would have different characters in them. Uh-huh. But you're still going on primarily all of those missions. The Witcher 3 and The Witcher 2 
changed that type of thing up where literally your choices impact the game and the world of the game very drastically um i think the witcher 2 had it a little bit better because they didn't try and make an open world necessarily it was like you're at a point a and then you go to point b and then you go to point c but those environments change drastically Uh depending on what happened um the witcher 3 it's like shit happened before and because of your choices that you made into uh you're here you know um but again it's mainly with characters in that that sense. So The Witcher 2 is something special to me where it, it, it definitely changed the missions and the gameplay of the game mm-hmm. up a lot. Um, that's not something I see a lot of anymore. No. I just realized another one that is technically considered an open-world game to an extent, but that's more of just an exploration game, which is the Prime Trilogy. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's, it's just weird because another thing that we attach to open-world games is kind of like... Um, the like the the player choice the player choice and yeah the huge quests and the side quests metroid doesn't really have that they right. have side quests later on but there's no really like side quests in um metroid prime one there's like collectibles that's like really your yeah. only side quests really well, and the cool thing about that game is it took this it, it made it um 3d you know or first person i should say uh-huh. especially too um, and then, you know, allowed you to interact with the world, but it kept the main concept of the prime games intact where it's like, you have to backtrack, you have to get this. And then that allows you to unlock this area. It was linear, but it was open in the sense that it, it just, it just felt lived in and it felt huge. That's, that's like the going from a thing, 2d plane to a 3d. You, know, you have kind of like three or I guess kind of two genres that kind of melded and combined themselves into the open world genre over the last couple of years and that's like the exploration you have your metroids and that's really about it that like really comes to mind but then you have like your survival games yeah and those have gotten popular lately too breath of the wild has like i'm like again like two hours into this game yeah it's such a ridiculous survival element that i was like i kind of heard about but i was like not ready for and you know what going alongside that survival element a game that many of us don't like at least in terms of when it came out but then it has a different player base that completely loves it because of this edition now the division yeah that's an open world in new york but it also has this incredible survival element now to it that apparently has changed the game entirely and has made it incredibly fun okay so but yeah you know when you're i i I knew this kind of existed but i didn't know exactly how until i played the game and experienced it for the first time earlier today how like weather affects zelda now like, you go into a cold area, and you can't stay long unless you have proper clothing or you eat certain foods that up your cold resistance, <laughs> which I love that it's just you're eating spicy food to warm you up for a little bit. I was like, that is that's crazy. fantastic. But why did we need that depth in a Zelda game? But is it fun for It is. Though? Yeah. It's cool. That's cool. I don't know where it's going to go from here because literally I just, like, finished, like, basically the opening of the game and like you look at the map and you're like oh i've i've i walked in a circle and like i i was i was home and (laughs) now i gotta go explore you know (laughs) the united states it's huge that's cool like the reports that are like i don't know if you saw it but like the reports that were coming out that saying that breath of the wild's map was 10 times the size of skyrim's and now experience i'm like oh my god they were not kidding. So, 
an idea that comes to mind as we've been talking about all these games is do you find that these open world environments um the sense of completing tasks at your leisure and how you want to do them uh is it beneficial um or not and i would also say two to add on to that um how big is too big we kind of already talked about the how big is too big thing um it really just depends on how much stuff you give your player to do in that space absolutely when you look at horizon it's not a huge map. It's a big one, but it's definitely not the biggest one I've ever seen. But there is definitely plenty to do in that space and plenty to explore, things to find, things to hunt, stuff like that. Dense. Breath of the Wild, it's hard to know for sure right now because I've only experienced the smallest amount of the map so far. I feel like a lot of that map is kind of just the um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of the landscape playing with you and just like – it. It feels, at least the first area, felt very artificially like cut off because of the landscape and just not having the tools available to you yet to go there yet. I'm hoping the rest of the game isn't quite that strict with it. I understand why it would be in the first area, though. Yeah, um, absolutely. The whole, you know, option between like main quest, side quest, giving you stuff to do throughout, throughout that, I'm fine with it. Again, as long as the rewards for doing the side quest stuff is worth it. Because you look at, I'm trying to think, you know, you have games like Skyrim where, you know, the side quests are really what made that game. And the side stories where you had like the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood, stuff like that, the Mages Guild, stuff like that. Those areas and what you experience in them and what you gain from those side quests was huge. You have a game like Horizon, which a lot of the time the side quests are just here's a bunch of experience and like a strong weapon. Which is okay, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like, you know, again, going back to Skyrim, you finish Dark Brother questline and it's like, here's, you know, a second home and, you know, you get access to the entire Dark Brotherhood and they're all of their inner workings. Right. And you get this really cool armor. Here's a here's a bow and some experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, I think it does vary based on what you gain from them and uh-huh. what what the interaction is. Um, there's a difference between games like Metal Gear Solid five, where, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. If I could find a criticism with it, it's the side missions don't really matter. aren't that impactful and they don't matter with two, a couple exceptions, the character ones, which are interesting and do matter. There are a few side quests that involve, um, for example, quiet in that game. Uh-huh. And that changes the story drastically. I felt like if Hideo had more time with that game and he was allowed to do all the things that he really wanted to do, he could have done something really, really special with it um, because that's where we get into things like The Witcher 3 where the reason why I love that game aren't necessarily hunting down the monsters and fighting all of the enemies. It's seeing the web of connectivity with the characters fully realized. That game everything connects to each other and there is a lore and a history that not only started those things but also comes out of you interacting with all of those people and that adds to something really really special um it's the reason why in another way that i love mass effect too because 
the reason why I go on the side missions that aren't the main ones. Um, it's not necessarily to get my Paragon and Renegade all the way up, <laughs> even though part of it is, uh, especially for two. But it's because I like interacting with the characters. The reason why two is so special is because you had character missions that allowed you to fight enemies, sure, but also learn something more about that world and those characters and shape who they are in that game. That's what made those side quests so special. I don't, I don't care necessarily for the weapons and the shit that you get from them. I right. just want to get more into this story. So, you know, I, I think that's something really important too for open world games to to keep up on. I like, I like gaining more access to the story yeah. that way. And while Horizon definitely has an element of that where you learn more about the world, if, if I had like one major criticism about the game, it's that where I feel like the side missions just don't give you enough, like. It's not even like enough of a reward. It's more of a knowledge thing. Yeah. Like I'm doing, I'm spending the extra time in these games and doing the extra quests because I want to learn what happens. I want to learn what happened to this world to where it is. I want to see these characters interact with each other and see what happens within them. And while there are small instances of that, it's definitely not as like incredibly compelling as the main story has been. Interesting. So it's it's weird. It's almost like the inverse where this main story is so incredibly enthralling, mm-hmm. but the side quests don't. They're, like it's much. okay. Yeah. Here's what I would say: the main story is definitely Aloy experiencing and ex- exploring the world and learning more about it, which is makes a lot of sense in a game that's you know post-apocalyptic. I can never say that word. And learning about the world and what happened to it. The side missions are more just experiencing the people that are living in the world. That's the easiest way I have to say it. Nice. Okay. Fair enough. But you look at something like Breath of the Wild, and so far has not had a ton of character interaction at all, other than one person. Then you have that inverse of it, and I'm excited to see how that game grows, because if there isn't a lot of that, it would be very interesting. Because the crazy thing about that game is it's like it's so huge, and that game does not hold your hand. It's like, here's a sword, here's some things. Go fight some fucking goblins and figure your life out. Interesting. So... There's those two inverse of it. Okay. How much do you like? Like, how much do you think is too much or not enough handholding or guidance in general? Um, Because you look at games man, like, tricky. you know, going back to Metroid Prime, where you're given zero direction. Just go. Sometimes I regret that a lot of the games have... In, it's it's weird because there's two sides of it. There is. Um, I appreciate like being able like because you get that moment when you figure it out and you're like, oh yeah, I did it. But then you have the Zams where I'm like, okay, I'd really just like the game to tell me what I'm supposed to do because the weirdest thing is Fallout Four. All right, uh, it kind of holds your hands in a lot of places, uh-huh. but there's this one part in the story, and it's the reason why I haven't finished the game because then eventually by the time that I had sort of figured it out, I didn't care. Um, there's this one part in the game. That to some would maybe be easy, but if you're not paying attention or if you came in at a weird point, you would have totally forgotten what, how to get there and where to go. Um, and you get lost, actually. And then you're doing other side quests that don't matter as much, and then you lose interest in the game. Yep. Um, it's weird because on the inverse side of that, Metroid Prime doesn't hold your hand at all. No. Um, and it, it doesn't you tell you how to go almost- about things. Very, the very slightest amount of directions. And in that sense, it works so well. But you have to understand what that game is. In these open, big, open, open worlds where it is very nonlinear and you have to like 
go around a huge map and all of these things. I think it's incredibly important to keep you on point with what you're doing. Um, for those types of games that are open in the sense of you are exploring sort of, um, but you're still going on a linear path. Um, that's why it's still kind of maybe say Prime isn't an open world because it's, it's still... It's hard to say because, again, you, yeah. you're looking at, you know, the, the melding of genres of, you know, of, you know, open quests are basically dumbed down MMOs where yeah. just, you know, here's all these characters you can interact with Go. So, you know, open world genre is kind of in the melding of MMO exploration and survival over the years and just yeah. adventure games in general. It's kind of embodied all three of them yeah so yeah. it's hard to you know distinguish you know the individual games and what makes each individual game what type of genre but i feel like it's still like an umbrella to where like, you know all these games we talked about i still feel like they are all open world games but you know metroid has much more of an exploration than anything else horizon just has you know the open world you know ability to go wherever you want and interact with the characters and just the environment yeah you look at something you know like again mass effect where it's, you know, it's an open world, but, you know, the, the questing and the interactions with everyone is the strongest point. I think maybe this is the point that we need to get across. Because as we now approach a world in which we've accepted that all of these games have more availability to do shit uh, than ever before, uh-huh. thus spinning certain genres on their head. Like, for example, look at the latest Call of Duty. Um, that spins the FPS Call of Duty experience on its head because you can experience so many different missions in the order that you kind of choose. And it has side quests that were fun. Um, but I, I, I just, I stress, know what you are. And, and that's what I, I hope games kind of remember that do this because I think we're going to see open world become an ex- expectation. But I don't necessarily want games to forget that open world can include these different types of genres in it. You know, like open world, I think is eventually just going to become a concept where it's like, Oh, this is just a big game. It's a three, like like, a triple a blockbuster game. That means you get a big world associated with it. Sitting here and like thinking through my brain and looking at my game shelf and I'm like, okay, well, you know, technically, you know, all the Batman Arkham games have, you know, those are open. Those are open world. If you know, you look at the rules, you had games like Red Dead Redemption, you had games like, Mm -hmm. Grand Theft Auto. Wow, yeah, I can't believe we weren't bringing those up. They're, they, this, <laughs> I you forgot. keep peeling back the layers, and yeah. it's like, again, it's such a huge umbrella. Every, every game's an open world game. We did it, guys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just Pokemon's I just, a fucking open world, technically. Damn it. True. I just Quit. I hope that they understand what makes their game sing. Like for for example, Fallout Three. The thing that made that sing was just randomly running into things uh, along the story's path, and then also getting back into the story and finding armor and weapons and making your your guy the badass survivor that he is. Um, and then where the Fallout Four failed for me was, you know, we added on this concept of building a settlement. We added on this, um, you know, dense city area, but then a ton of shit on the outside that is either not important or if it is important, it's hard to find and get to. Um, and it, it kind of lags, you know? And then the difference between uh, Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. I still love Mass Effect 3, but the thing that made Mass Effect 2 so special was its character-focused missions. So you need to really capitalize on what you're doing with those games. I think, for example, Andromeda, the best thing about it is not going to be what I loved about 2 in a way. I think it's going to be the exploration. Okay. Um, and if they capitalize on that and they know what 
what makes their game sing, then you're going to have a great time with okay, it. Okay, so, you know, you look at games that have kind of failed to find their image and run with it. I feel like that's a lot of the time where we have games that, like, struggle. You look at games like No Man's Sky and Division, which were so hyped, and they just kind of let people down because they didn't play to their strengths. They tried to do right. too much with, with what was given to them. Or they tried to do – or they didn't do enough for what they, they needed to do. Yeah. You know, like, for example, No Man's Sky, you have this incredibly accessible world um, universe uh, that you can go about in anything way that you want to. Except there's nothing to do. Yep. It's just blank space. Um, so it's about setting a mood, and nobody wants, you know, a mood setter where you want something that you can be anything. You know, I I think that's another thing to to stress with these open world games is like don't pitch that they're going to be everything at once to you. Right. You know that that that's what also I'm meaning too. Like. These people that market these games need to understand that they can't promise everything under the sun for a game because no game is going to be able to do everything. Right. It still has to have its focus, you know? That's what makes them so special. So I think a perfect place to kind of end off here, which is I, I want to bring up this point earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah. When you were talking about Massive, or I'm sorry, Metal Gear Solid Five. Mm. And you brought up the whole idea of how, you know, I wonder how much that game could have been improved and more fleshed out if Hideo could have just could have done what he wanted, had yes. more time, stuff like that. Death Stranding is a thing. It's <laughs> it's a it's uh-huh. a it's a thing. We we know nothing else other than it's a thing. Um, well, and there was an interview just recently. I, I never wanted to talk about it because it's going in depth, but we know a little bit more about a what little he's trying bit. to do. We know actually that the game is being built in the same engine that Horizon was built in. So we can kind of expect, and it has been talked about, that it is going to be an open world game. Yeah, Hideo admitted it on his last interview yeah. blatantly. So how much do you think that that game is going to be kind of an, a letter from Kojima, like kind of like doing what he wanted to with Phantom Pain, but taking it and just applying it to a whole new universe? I think... Well, well, the thing that I thought was getting we were getting close to on with the Phantom Pain is that he was delivering this really insane message that was gearing up towards the end of the game, um, but doesn't get completed. Right. Um, so that was more of a story thing and a character completion thing. Um, however, there are certain things that I could have seen with like character specifically. I think he is going to focus on his characters more than ever for this next game coming up and how... This is the thing that he teased in not only the trailers, but in how he's talking about the game. I think he wants to explore how characters connect to one another. And that's the most exciting thing. Why do I like Mass Effect 2? Why do I like The Witcher 2? Why do I like Witcher 3? The connection between characters. And I think that that game is going to capitalize on that connection and really make it weird and fun and interesting. Something that you have both know what he's doing, but you've never seen it in the way that he's going to do it now. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what excites me for Death Stranding. The, that game has so much potential that it, it, if that game is good, it could potentially like redefine just gaming. Yeah, and well, and and again, like or or define it. You know, we think yeah. back to to Far Cry Three. Why do we call games open worlds now? It's because what Far Cry Three let you do and really made that 
thing known. Yeah, we're kind of in like an, an open world renaissance where you know we had game, we had our Fallout's, we had our Elder Scrolls, we had our Far Cry. We're seeing so many games adapt that style now, and I feel like in a lot of ways, Death Stranding will kind of be like the climax of all of it. It's oh, yeah, it's literally going to be what the gaming industry, what Kojima and you know his team have learned over the past you know ten or so years with these games. And basically going all out, I feel like. I agree that at the same time, though, Sony, let him control the messaging and the marketing on it. I think they will. We cannot let our hype get so incredible for a certain thing that it destroys what the game will actually be. I, I And that's what I want to stress. Like I want that game to be everything and more for me, but I also want to understand completely what his vision is for it. And we won't know until day one. Not even day one, probably yeah. like day 19 yeah. or something. It's, it's going to be a couple. Yeah, it's just there are certain things that he teases to his fans uh, that I love, and I'm starting to get what he wants to do with like the game. That's gaming, why I'm saying the connection part of it. The you know? gaming community is just a fucking chessboard for Kojima, and he's just playing chess <laughs> with us and trying to just yeah. ruin our brains as much as he possibly can. But he's brilliant in that way. So True. Death Stranding is going to be nothing short of incredible it almost has to be uh yeah it's lot, got a lot to live up to but at least they're giving him the time and the resources to complete that vision yeah so but do you have anything else to talk about in regards to open world no i i think that's it you know allow open world to also be open in what you want to put into it but make sure that you stay true to what that vision and that point is you know right. you know keep it keep it concise as we see more games go towards this formula again the two biggest ones that just kind of out of nowhere went this way was final fantasy and zelda i just i don't want to see games lose their identity yes. as they go towards this direction yes because while breath of the wild feels you know nothing like any other zelda game before it still feels like a zelda game good that's the biggest thing yeah so i'm excited to see how much it still feels like it as i basically start the game because you know i really haven't yet Two hours in, Breath of the Wild is being claimed by so many people as the best Zelda of all time, one of the best games ever. That's scary. Scary, but cool. Yeah. That's also the thing I'm a little disappointed about with the release windows of these. I really still want people to care about Horizon because I feel like it's already started to become overshadowed by the switch we'll we'll see what the end of the year looks like um in terms of dlc and what these games impact is but yeah it does suck because not only did zelda come out a little bit before it or after it but now we have mass effect two weeks later and these games are all big triple a highly budgeted experiences the things that their gaming companies are capitalizing on for the year yeah, so it's kind of the focus for the year. Yeah, like again, again, it's really been a renaissance the last couple of years. So this this year is pretty massive with what they're uh, finally, massive. Uh, what they've <laughs> finally like set down and done with this genre and how much they've applied it to this the industry. So yeah, agree. I'm excited. I'm excited to see how much Andromeda does. I'm excited to see. You know, we have Shadow War, Shadow of War at the end of the year. Death Stranding sometime in the next decade. And who knows what Destiny 2 will really be. It could be so much more on that. You yeah, know, it could that's really true. open up and become the open world that it really felt like it needed to be from the beginning. Yeah. But Absolutely. I feel like that's as much as we can kind of milk this as we have. So, <laughs> thank you guys for it's listening good slash watching. I really enjoyed it. It was. Yeah, I feel like talk. this was one of the better like conversation topics we've had. And we yeah. just kind of let it flow very naturally. But 
As always, you can find all of our content over on geekdomination.net. Be sure to go there for all of our podcasts, our reviews, all of our sideshows. I put out um, the second episode of Quest Complete earlier this week, which was my review of Kingdom Hearts 2.8. Again, um, I'm probably going to be doing two episodes this month, each with a review on Horizon and Breath of the Wild once I've had ample Excellent. time to talk about or to play through them and talk about them in my brain. You've been working on your new movie show. I'm starting to push out that more. You're pumping out reviews like a maniac. So trying. Um, I do want to stress though, uh, the review show not necessarily focused on trailers like we alluded to last week. It is focused on the movies that are coming out in the month. Uh, speaking of that, the first full episode of it uh, should be premiering uh, either early next week or later next week. I'm just waiting on a few assets to kick in for it. So yeah, so stay tuned for that. Be sure to interact with us on our socials. All those are linked down below. Be sure to comment your favorite open world game and what you love about this genre. Yes, what you let us about know. It. Create a conversation down below. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Have a lovely March. Go play Horizon or Zelda. Wait two weeks and then play Mass Effect. And- Stay tuned for Mass Effect. Yeah. Woo-hoo. The hype is so real. <laughs> ridiculous. Thanks, guys. See you.